Thank you. Thank you. Hey. Thank you. Ha. Evening. Evening. Yes, I know. Yeah, Bob will be here in a few minutes. No, unfortunately, yes. But you know, honestly, good evening. And my name's Lou Wing. I've been coming here uh, during the, uh, the mornings, actually led worship here when the first church first started decades, decades ago. So I kind of know the scene, although it's so refreshing to come back. Um, we've been here for about, almost a year now, and I'm telling you, what a work the Lord has done at this ministry. I mean, it's all over. And so, you know, I've been through a number of churches, part of Horizon for over 30 years. My wife, beautiful wife here, Pam, who's sitting here, um, she and I have really traversed the entire country and world. We've started a part of Bible College, Calvary Chapel Bible College in Murrieta that is now up in Twin Peaks. I was a teacher there for since 2003 and teaching through different Old Testament books. And throughout all this time living, yes, here, but also up in these different regions, you know what? The ministry of Horizon is known throughout the world, guys. So when it was really win, disciple, and send, that mission really has been in reality. So we're just elated to be here and be able to serve and be able to share tonight. Um, I know that when people have food comas, which you, most of you do, um, you know, your body's still trying to decide whether it's supposed to digest this or get rid of it. I get that. And so I thought tonight, as Bob had asked, and, you know, just to share whatever, because you know, we finished the headlines, and now we're going to be coming into a different world. Yes, we're coming into Advent and so on. Well, this is actually the first weekend of Advent. So because of that, and I just didn't realize that because it was coming into Advent, this is the perfect time to bring something that is near and dear to my heart. And you know what? My prayer that your eyes and my eyes would continue to be open to how the Lord is bringing Jesus into the world. Because, you know, the whole idea of Advent is all about hope understanding that God promised a savior to a desperate, desperate mankind. And there was only one way to have that true living hope. And that was through his son who actually gave himself for us as a sacrifice. So we actually came to bring something that we're going to talk about tonight. He not only brought his blood, but he did something very unique in that process. So what I'm going to ask you to do, if you don't have a Bible tonight, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. However, I would love to have you have one only because I want to be held accountable for what I'm saying too. Because my last name is Wing, and I do have the tendency to wing it. So I don't want you to get sucked into that thought process as you're hearing me. I want you to be able to look it up and read it for yourself. Just be Bereans with me tonight, because they searched the scriptures to see if those things were so. And there's very many times when you will get different speakers and so on who's going to come in and bring their own level uh, version of manna. And we want to make sure that it's backed up by the word. Because what I'm sharing tonight is really a title and it's one word only. And that word is conscience. Now it's got a, a considerable notoriety in the psychology, neuroscience and all. And I, and I get that. I'm actually a scientist, believe it or not. I'm a toxicologist. I've worked in the biotechnology community for the last 30 plus years as well. And I know that it can be very easy for me to want to get into the science and kind of leave the word of God alone. That's why 
Becoming a Christian in 1971, let me tell you, I knew Jesus well before I went into science, so I didn't have to have the delusion of thinking that there was any kind of evolutionary process at all. As a matter of fact, this designer has designed his word specifically to reveal himself through science. And we will look at that in a moment. But what I want you to turn with me, if you will, I want you to look at Psalm 19. And I want in that in Psalm 19 with me, and as you're turning to that, recognizing that this psalm provides an extraordinary and exquisite way that we begin our discussion tonight on how God reveals himself. Because, you know, God is constantly revealing himself to us as we walk with him in the newness of this life he's given us. And his revelation is threefold. In this threefold description, it says here in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows his handiwork, day to day under speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language where the voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In them, he has set a quote unquote tabernacle, remember that word, for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of the heaven and its circuit to the other end. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. Guys, those first six verses, God reveals himself in his creation. He reveals himself down to the exquisite nature of his creation, not just what we can see, but evidenced by this statement saying that there's no speech nor language, their voice is not heard. We've got to remember that God's creation includes the things that we don't see. Verified that in Romans chapter 1, when the things of this creation already know that they're created. So we all have an understanding that there is a designer. And this designer has created not only his world, this universe, but he's done a very important new creature in you. You are his creation. So the very beginning of this psalm, giving us evidence of the fact that we are his creation, new creatures in Christ Jesus, with all things passed away, all things becoming new. This is the way God begins his revelation in us is that new creature. And believe me, if you're not a believer tonight, let me encourage you to just listen and let the Holy Spirit speak to you because he wants to reveal himself to you and he wants you to become that new creature in Christ Jesus if you will just believe. Amen? Amen. So the next verses, verse 7, look at this. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, the much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Those verses right there. How does God reveal himself? By his creation, his word. This is the most extraordinary book you're holding. 66 books. 
Each one of the authors with the theme always of Jesus Christ, revelation of who he is. So as a new creature in Christ Jesus, you have the word of God in you that's alive and it's living and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the very soul and spirit joints and marrow and the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's a discerner. And that's why right after this word of God, look at what it says in verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins and let them not have dominion over me. Then I'll be blameless and I shall be innocent of the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, our God, in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer and Father, we thank you for this psalm. We praise you, Lord, that as you reveal your counsel to us, we ask that we would have clean hands, pure hearts, ready to receive and ready to know and understand that you're truly speaking to our conscience tonight. In Jesus' name, and, and amen. 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 Now, notice verses 12 to 14, all about the conscience. Creation, the word of God, and our conscience. Three key ways that God reveals himself. Now, you'll remember the last three or four weeks or more, we've been talking all about the headlines. Remember, that's kind of where we, our whole discussion was around. And if you remember what Bob's favorite word was, can anybody say it out loud? Just, just say it. You, you probably know what it is. What is it? Exactly. And what does that stand for? Mercy, right? Stands for mercy, faithfulness, mercy of God. And within this idea of his mercy, he has given us this extraordinary image of what this mercy actually became. Because you remember, those verses, they came to Moses when he was about ready to make the second version of the tablets. Remember, the first time he broke them because of the golden calf. But the second, before he gave him the second set, he had this moment with Moses in Exodus chapter 36. And as he gave him this moment, and as he revealed himself, he revealed his heart, he made these statements that were just as Steve was talking about last week, all of the good and sadly all the bad. God is a faithful God. He's also one who has judgment. He does not tolerate sin. And because of that, God has a desire and passion, though, to fellowship with his people. And in his revelation of himself, the creation, the word of God into our conscience, we remember that God revealed himself to Moses, but then he says that I'm now going to give you a map on how I want to fellowship with you always on this planet. Now, you got to remember Genesis chapter 1 and part of 2 is all that we're given in the word of God on how God created the heavens and the earth for the dwelling place of man. God is going to give over 10 chapters of the dwelling place for himself. And this exquisite description is not only part of Exodus, it's a lion's share of it. It's how to make it, and now how to implement it, and then it gives all the details on what they did in obedience 
to building this extraordinary tabernacle. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to look at this picture and it's not this, the, of understanding what the tabernacle actually looks like. Because, you know, the tabernacle is, as many of you have seen pictures of it and get descriptions of it, we have to remember that this tabernacle that he says, I will set up, as it's shown here, this large veil all the way around, this curtain, and then it has a doorway that comes inside of this doorway here. And then you walk inside of it, and then it has this brazen altar. And we're going to look at this in more detail. But just to give you a high-level view of it, and this kind of bizarre picture that, I don't know, it's kind of weird because the curtains are really cool, but that probably looks more like Broadway than it actually was. However, this is going through a doorway, and then you get into the brazen altar. Then you got to this little water bath that they have to wash themselves in, and then they go into the sanctuary. And as many of you know, the one place that they were never allowed to go, except for once a year, was in the Holy of Holies, where there was this Day of Atonement that we're going to look at in a moment. Now, what does this have to do with the conscience? Well, let me tell you everything, everything. Now, if you go back, and I want, I want you to look at this next slide, and it says that how God tabernacled among his people. He says, I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. The word tabernacle is meaning dwell with, or to come among one. So Jesus, tabernacle, God, tabernacles among us. So when we look at verses like that, and we see it in Exodus 25, God's motivation was to be with us. And it's this first step onto planet Earth. All the other theophanies, everything else in which they occurred, wasn't physical like this tabernacle was. It was designed specifically for God to be being with his people as he was mobilizing these people as we go into the wilderness as they did on their 11-day journey, should have been, that took 40 years. God had a plan for those 40 years, and he never, ever left them, even if they left him by stopped sacrificing and stopped all of the circumcision. I mean, that was a real disobedience, and God never stopped the manna. He never stopped loving these people with the cloud by day, fire by night, always with his people, never leaving them. And this is why this image of this tabernacle is reflected, interestingly, on how Jesus tabernacles amongst us. We're coming into the season of Christmas. And you'll notice that in John chapter 1, after it gives this whole laudable statement about Jesus is the Word. The Word was with us, with God. He was God. And then it says in verse 14, and the Word of God, and the Word became flesh and tabernacled, same word, among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So this comparison, looking at Christmas, is no different than the tabernacle of old, i.e. all of the instruments, all of the furnishings, all the people were all the shadow of the substance of Jesus. And we're going to find that that substance of Jesus is actually in us as new creatures in Christ Jesus. 
all things passed away. All things become new as he dwells in and among us. This is what we bring each other. That's why we need fellowship. Because we are allowing the Holy Spirit, he says it in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. And because you and I are allowing Jesus to tabernacle amongst us as we walk through our wilderness on this planet, God is faithfully our provider, faithfully our light. All those pieces of the tabernacle are in and amongst us. If you'll notice in this next picture, it's a really diagrammatic one, but it kind of gives you the idea in more detail about what it was. And this idea is the door, as you'll see there at the bottom. As you go through, there's that brazen altar I mentioned, the place where this, generally the sacrifices like the burn offering, grain, and peace offerings, and so on, those were all at that altar. Then, before you would even go into the work zone, which is in the first part of that tabernacle, you would have to wash. The whole idea was to bathe yourself, and this is what's so powerful about reading the Word of God, because guys, remember... When we're washed in the water of the word and purifying it, something is, begins to happen to our thought life. It becomes what the word of God is doing even now. It's cleansing us. It's preparing us to have the newness of that manna come in and restore our passion for the word of God. So when these guys were washed, they would walk through that next entryway, and that's where we would find, on the next slide, you will see a little bit more of the detail from an aerial view. It's kind of a diagrammatic picture. You would see in that white box there, and that, the labels are on the way outside. It's kind of hard to read. However, you're going to see, when you come in, there's going to be a lampstand. There's going to be a table for the showbread. Then you can see an altar of incense. And those, that was like the work zone for the priests. The bread had to be fresh every day. The lights of the candelabras, the, the light lampstand had to be fresh all of the time. It was never supposed to go out. The incense was always to be burning. All of this was where all the work was. There were no chairs in the tabernacle. You were never sitting down. It was all works. Everything was a constant business going on all the time. Priests were very, very busy because the people were really blowing it a lot. And so a lot of sacrifices happened to happen a lot. It was an ongoing dilemma constantly. And the whole idea of this work zone was the fact that one day the high priest is going to come in. And the high priest is going to walk through the main Zero way at the very end there, you're going to see this little separation between the holy place and the holy of holies. You would walk right through there once a year with two things. You would walk through with the blood from one of the goats that we're going to talk about. And then you would walk with this other hand full of incense. Not really burned, but it's with an incense that's going to have a cover on it though. So they would come with incense and blood. And they would come in and he would bow, and we're going to look at a picture of that in just a second, but the idea was, is that would happen only once a year for the sins of the people. The priest being the representative. But the interesting thing about this priest, of bringing these two items, was what he was wearing. Because he had on him a huge breastplate. 
This breastplate had all the tribes of Israel, as you saw in the last picture, it had all the representation of the different stones that represented the tribes. But then right inside of it, he had these two little artifacts. We don't know if they're stones. We don't know what they were made of, what carved images they were. But one was called an Urim, and the other one was called a Thummim. Urim stands for a loosely Hebrew term, lights. That's what the word is. Urim is lights. And the other one, Thummim, is perfections. And they would take these stones frequently when they had to make a decision. And it could be they were doing a lot of counseling. And this priest was, why did people cry for Aaron when he died? Because more so than Moses, because he was so involved with the people and so often using these two to help people with making decisions. The Urim of the lights, Thummim of perfection were used. This is such an image of the conscience. It is exactly why they were the prized possession of the priest, more so than anything else, was to the right or to the left. Because you've got to remember something as we sort of come into our definition of conscience. It's all about the moral reasoning. Consciousness is when you're waking up. Conscience is what are you going to do after you wake up? What's your choice? Because constantly we're making choices. We constantly have the Urim and Thummim working in our hearts. And those are always pulled out. And the Holy Spirit ultimately became our Urim and Thummim. He's the one that divides the word of God for us. He shows us what belongs and what doesn't. And tonight, let me encourage you. There are things in our lives that just seem to be a part of who we are. And the Holy Spirit lovingly allows us to experience this Urim lights and perfections when God has got something better and to let it go. Some of the greatest decisions we'll ever make in our lives is no. And that can become a sentence to let it go. If the Spirit of God is speaking to you about an area in your life that you want decision on, he is speaking to you right this moment. And I encourage you by the mercies of God to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and ready to receive. Because he's speaking. He knows you better than you'll ever, ever know yourself. We get in so many self-help areas and we keep, can't figure out why we can't help ourselves. And I'll tell you, he knows exactly how to come alongside you because that's why the Holy Spirit's called parakletos, to come alongside, next to counselor. He's doing that. Now you notice something that in this picture, each of these artifacts that we can do an entire Bible study on, you may have in the past, and I encourage you to do it on your own, but to recognize that there are no other lights in that sanctuary but one. There was only one door, there's only one light, there's only one loaf of bread, one group of bread, and the incense, all of these representing Jesus. He is the light of the world, he is the bread of light, he is the door. He is our brazen altar. It's a picture of the cross. I mean, the, Jesus is all over these furnishings. And most importantly, the idea of once a year, 
is no longer as us as believers. And when we look at the book of Hebrews, we have to remember a book, yeah, that was written for Hebrews to stop being Hebrew, but also to recognize the richness of what their belief is. Because let's face it, the goal was once a year, but we have it constantly. There's no more veil for you and I. That veil was torn. It says Jesus' flesh is the veil. And when his body was torn, it gave us instant access to the throne of grace to be at the mercy, the chesed seat, to receive it in time, yes, of need, but to be being with him all of the time. See, the temple tabernacle was never meant to just be once a year. God designed it just like he did with Adam and Eve, expelled from the garden, God's final statement was, before you guys go, I've got to clothe you with the skins. He gives them a demonstration of a how to do a sacrifice. And then what does he do right after that? He says, they have become like one of us. Genesis 3.22. They've become like one of us. What do you mean? To discern good and evil. They've gone from innocence to conscience. Understanding conscience right before we go into Advent is the key to our walk with Jesus Christ. Because when we receive him, not only do we receive him on the outward, all the stuff that's going on around, but we receive him in our thought life. That's the point. Our thoughts are governed by him. He is with us always. That's why when we let the word of God dwell in us richly, it's activating his presence constantly in our lives. And he's washing us. But there's something real important here. Because when you look at the next slide, you're going to notice something. That when the day of atonement happens, says Moses, he says to Moses, tell Aaron not to just come here at any time into the holy place inside the veil. Before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For all appear in a cloud above the mercy seat. So this idea was, as I said a moment ago, is that coming in once a year and coming in with fear, you can only imagine, because what he's bringing was possibly going to be rejected because he didn't follow all the protocols. There was, he was making a list of everything he did wrong, constantly wondering whether everything is right. Is this the right incest? The blood was done right. Was a sprinkle on the end, end? And all of this reasoning and guilt that happens in dead works of religion. When we try to appease God with the best that we can do, and God simply wants us to come as we are. Dead works otherwise. Come, coming to him as we are. And you're going to notice that as the picture shows, here's this guy freaked out. As you can see right in front of us. He's bowing before this massive piece of furniture that is this, yeah, we've seen a number of times this picture, but this was like a once a year thing. It was so reverent, as you may have remembered, in a guy named Uzzah who actually tried to hold it before it fell off the, the cart, remember? And he grabbed it and he died. God didn't want anybody to touch it. There was nothing. It was God's property. And it was his presence to be reverenced 
And this process of reverence was all about the key words, as it says in Exodus 25, it says, there I will meet with you. And I'll speak to you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are on the Ark of Testimony, about everything that I'm going to give you commandment over, about building the tabernacle at this moment. See, God's objective from the very beginning was to be with us, and he had a priest to do it. That's all he could use. This is all the shadow of Jesus being our high priest. It's a shadow of you and I. First Peter 2.9 tells us we're a kingdom of priests. I mean, just kind of remember what a priest is. A priest comes from a Latin word, pontifex. Pontifex means bridge builder. You and I are a bridge builder. By our fellowship with Jesus Christ, we're actually representing to the world that we have a living God. And we're here to represent mankind to God. Our simple act of worship is bridge building to a dead and dying world. The minute we stop gathering, the minute we stop worshiping, the minute we stop sharing is the greatest strategy from the enemy because it's the greatest way of stopping the bridge building. And we're in the season, guys, to be that kingdom of priests where we're called to be the bridge builders in every shopping mall we end up in. They're watching us more so now than ever before. And they're desperate to see, is this real? Because you and I, let's be honest, we often feel like we're failures often. We're just going to blow it and we're going to get sick of the line. We're going to just, yeah, it's going to go on. There's a lot of grace, yes. But there's also a lot of responsibility too. To step back long enough and say, Lord, I'm about to walk into Nordstrom's. I'm about ready to kill somebody. But I know, I know that you're faithful. And I know that you've called me and just be being with me in our conscience. Well, I say that because as the slide goes on, the Ark of the Covenant was there. And that Ark of the Covenant had some pretty profound contents. Like I go back to conscience, here it is. The Ark of the Covenant, there were three items. Not what you saw in Raiders of the Last Ark. This is, this, there were, these were the contents. And there were three of them. As you're going to notice, Hebrews 9, 4 details saying that there was a golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Now, if each one of these has a very profound rationale from God's presence, yes. But it's all like his memories of his people, and it's meant to be the driving force of motivation for anyone that opens up the contents of God's heart. See, we often call it the ark, but really it's God's heart. It's his passion for you and I. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And how did he do that? He did it in this veiled contents of the heart. Jesus in the manger is the content of the ark. Look at what the next slide shows us. The law of God. What does it represent? The way. It tells us that the law of the Lord, as we saw, is perfect, converting the soul. The law of the Lord is not only that, but the commandments were meant as divine protection of his people. God knew 
So that's why we don't throw the Ten Commandments away as Christians. We simply read them differently. Instead of saying, thou shalt not, we say, I no longer have to. Because Jesus did. I no longer have to. All the accusations from hell. Let me tell you something. Most often he's right. Thank you, Jesus, that he's forgiven me. And he's forgotten, which is a completely different aspect of this. Well, you're going to notice that also the golden pot of manna, the perfect picture of the truth, the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. Aaron's rod that budded, the evidence of God's distinction, calling of Aaron as a priest, when it budded in the book of Numbers, it says that all the other rods died out. God selected one. It's a picture of resurrection life, that this dead wood produced these beautiful blossoms, the same thing that happens in our walk with Jesus Christ as he creates out of our dead wood. He creates this entire beautiful blossom fruit from our lives. These three pictures of a way, the truth, and the life, the idea of Jesus being not only in the ark, but the evidence of how we fellowship with him. And those contents were so sacred that were in it that God covered this ark with this extremely intricate lid made of gold. And then it had the cherubim signifying that they were looking specifically at the lid, the seat, the mercy seat, bowing down to the reverence of what was happening on this lid. There's a really interesting word that means lid of the mercy seat. It's a word we've often read before, and we're going like, where did this word come from? It's called, here you go, propitiation. I spit it out for you there. It's propitiation. Can you say that with me? Okay, there you go. Okay. Now, propitiation. I'm just going to I'm just going to give it to you right here, okay? Jesus in this propitiation lid of the mercy seat. So there's four times it's mentioned in the New Testament. This is just one of the key verses for it, justified freely by his grace to the redemption that's in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as a say it with me, a propitiation by what? Okay. Now, let me just say something about blood. There's a reason why this fluid is probably the most, if not all, enigmatic metaphysical substances on this planet. And look at, I did my PhD in biochemistry, yes, and I studied blood coagulation and la da 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 da. Never have I ever been more amazed at the intricacy of blood clotting. And how blood functions. Oh my gosh, stem cell research going on right now. Gene therapies. Guys, there's actually a cure for lymphoma right now. Leukemias. Why? Because we're able to do something with some of these newer cells and so on. I would love to go off on a massive tangent, but I'm not going to. Okay? I'm just saying this, though. Is that propitiation is the act of blood coming onto the lid of the mercy seat. That's what's happened now, why is it so significant? Because there's another verse in the book of Leviticus that gives us a better understanding of what this is. But before I show you that verse, I just want to show you a few slides. Can I show you a few slides about blood, please? Just a moment. No? Raise your hands if you want to see them. Okay, wow. All right, so good. So let me just show you this. What does blood look like? This is extremely profound. It's all related to the whole constants of conscience. Let me just show you this. This is the first thing. This is a hematology moment. 
This little picture up the top there, top left, that's a microscopic slide of what red blood cells look like. That's the actual live shot of what they look like, right below it. This is them going through a blood vessel. Looks like a freeway out on the, the 8, usually at about 4.30 in the afternoon. And then you see a cross-section one. All those you need to know by the end of the night. No, But I'm saying that this is kind of these generic little, you know, donut-y kind of things are spreading around your body. They're doing one thing. They're taking a blood, the blood goes, has an oxygen molecule. It takes it to each cell of its designation and it takes away carbon dioxide. That's all red blood cells do. They simply are traversing your body constantly. The 60,000 miles of blood, capillaries, veins, venules, arteries, arterioles, all that. You end up end to end 60,000. Look it up, Google it, but not now. You can see that, that it's that far. The distance is the magnitude of this, of the creation that God's made that you're sitting in right now. It's outrageous. And that's the picture of provision for your body. It's providing oxygen constantly. It doesn't sit in your lungs. All of those oxygen molecules come from your lungs and go into blood cells and traverse your body, and that's how you're oxygenated. Miraculously. Secondly, the next slide. This is even more amazing. These guys that are hanging out Lower population of them, they're like little red, the white layer when you spin the blood cells down, you see this little buffy coat, they call it. You take those out and tease those out. Each one of these cells, whether it be involved with inflammation, whether it be with um, any kind of irritations to your system and so on, and most profoundly is the bottom right-hand corner one called the lymphocyte, that big one that has a massive nucleus. That, can, that is literally one of the most profound cells of your body. Why? What is it doing? It is called, and here you go, surveillance. There is a population of those that are constantly looking out at every single thing that comes in your body and looking at its barcode. If it doesn't have your barcode, it puts out a signal and it gets a warriors to come in and it kills it. Your immune system is beyond miraculous. It's called protection. So you have protection in the blood and you have provision in the blood. These two attributes that are extremely profound physically. Now what's happening spiritually? Here's your metaphysical moment. You've got those two physical aspects. Now when we take blood down to its core, there's a verse that God gave us, and it's usually the only book, only verse out of the book of Leviticus anybody ever quotes because it's so profound, but it says something extremely useful to this image as well. Leviticus 17:11. I give it to you, I'm just saying, I give it to you in the English, but I'm going to show you the, the Hebrew as well, because I want you to see it for what this is. You're going to notice that this verse says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Now, the reason why I have life, souls, and soul bolded is because it's the same word called nephesh. It means life force. It means that this being's existence is within this substance. Life comes in the blood. That's why it's called vitality, life force. And it's, there it is. I'm sorry, I'm just throwing it into you in Hebrew because sometimes it just helps if you know Hebrew, right? But it helps to know that that word is used three times. And the reason why I'm highlighting it is because it's this, propitiation. 
You put the blood down, you do it the right way, the right animal. Everybody's in agreement that this is a blemish-free animal. This animal, everybody is witnessing. We've cut it up. We've taken this blood. We put it in this distinct location. What happens is God is pleased. He exchanges the nephesh for his nephesh. The exchange, or what we call expiation, happens on the lid of the mercy seat. So this blood is literally temporary at this point, but is now your life. Why do you think the cross is so profound? It's the ultimate, isn't it? Lid of the mercy seat, propitiation, the blood of Jesus, the exchange of life for life. The life of you in his blood, a spiritual transformation, a new creature in Christ Jesus. This is what makes it so profound. That's why when we talk about the enemy's strategy, he hates this discussion. But what did they overcome? And the word of his testimony, and they did not love their lives to the end. The blood of the lamb, the washed in the blood. Let me tell you something, when we sing this song, which I hope you'll never sing it again without remembering life for life. This whole expiatory idea is one of the most profound theological concepts there are. The mystery that occurs on the lid of the mercy seat. Let me tell you, as we get into this idea, what happens there, now we're going to come inside. Because we're going like, okay, we get this on the cross. We get this on the lid of the mercy seat. And it's, of course, the season to say, what about me, right? And I get that. What about me? Because this is where God works this lid of the mercy seat. He works it right there in my conscience. Because I am not my own. The blood of Jesus changed you and I. That life in me. You want to realize Jesus is in you? Look at your thought life over the last umpteen years you've been a Christian. Where does your mind naturally go? See, we have to remember something, that there is something that not only happens, but it shows us something extremely important in Hebrews 9.14. Look at this verse. How much more than the blood of bulls and goats that happened at the Day of Atonement how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from what? Dead works of religion, of all the sanctuary work that's routine to serve the living. My service to Jesus is evidenced solely by how the blood of Jesus is constantly cleansing my conscience from dead works to serve a living God. I no longer have to strive. I no longer have to make and appease God. He's pleased with me. The life of Jesus is what's motivating me to want to serve him without anybody else looking at it because I've got the greatest audience of all, and it's him. And it's going to give me the motivation to want to do and go and be whatever he's called me to be. And I question all of us tonight if there's ever a time in our lives for us to be well, ready and willing to do what God's called us to do and not be afraid. 
This is the night. This is a perfect time. Because Bob's not here. No, this is a perfect time. <laughs> because we all have this ability to not only know this, but we get to realize this. The realization of this is extremely profound. Another little analogy that comes out of, of Leviticus 16. The Day of Atonement also gives us this image of the one goat that has the blood that now we have this dealt with on the, the lid of the mercy seat. And now they go, interestingly, outside, because this offering was two, two goats. They picked one, they killed it, they put the blood, and the priest went in, and they took care of the expiation. Day of Atonement. But now the people need to see what happened. So they go outside, and there's this dude, this like triathlete, standing there with this live goat, and the priest walks up to this goat, puts his hands on this goat, and starts confessing every sin. If you can imagine how many decades that must have taken, but he sits, the, the lion's share of the sins, he puts on this head, conscience, puts it on the head of this goat, this guy takes this goat, and he's going to, goes out into the wilderness, as the verse says, and I'm just going to read it to you, you can see it up on the side, it says, and when he had made the end of atoning of the holy place, and the tabernacle meeting in the altar, he's going to bring the live goat, and Aaron's going to lay both of his hands on the head of this live goat, confess all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, put them on the head of the goat, send it away into the wilderness. I'm saying that for a good reason. Why? Because the suitable man is taking this only word that is mentioned in this chapter in the Bible. It's called Azazel. As you see at the top there. This Azazel goat literally means into the wilderness. It literally means send it away. It literally means off a cliff. But what it really means in Hebrew is demon. It's represented as this is a sin goat. It becomes sin by me laying all this iniquity on this animal. And this sin animal is sent out into the wilderness, thrown off this cliff, and the triathlete comes back and says, I saw it, man, it's gone. And the minute they see this guy come running back saying it's gone, it is gone. And it's the, everybody just rejoices because it's gone. And this is the point of forgiveness. Seeing it back, it's just like Jesus screaming to my conscience, you're forgiven, it's gone. Because you've got to remember something. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21 gives us a really profound statement of Azazel. Because it says, he who knew no sin became sin, became Azazel, so that we might be the righteousness of God. Because the man comes back, Jesus saying, I know because I died for you and it ain't coming back. See, your sins are no longer remembered by his blood. Better blood, better results. Animal blood, temporary results. The blood of Jesus is constantly cleansing my conscience from dead works to serve a living God because it is constant. I would love to say that we're all walking out of here sinless. You guys are good. No more sinning. God bless you. Have a perfect life. I promise you, the enemy is outside just waiting to hand you the blood and going like, you know, you remembered this. Yeah, oh yeah, thanks. Yeah. And we just keep taking our old nature back. Why? Because on this planet, we do have an old man. But thank you, Jesus. He's constantly cleansing us from dead works. 
He's constantly cleansing us. He's constantly forgiving us. In that constant cleansing, it says at the very end of this, let me just tell you, if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus is, as it were in Greek, constantly cleansing you from dead works to serve the living God. If you're snared with anything tonight, and let me tell you anything, it could be any one of those sins that Aaron put on that Azazel. This is a great night to confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse your conscience. What does that look like? How does our conscience get you? Try it. It's pretty amazing. It's called perfect peace while my mind is stayed on him because I can trust him. Isaiah 26, 3 is very profound. It's going at the thought life, that moral decision, the urim and thummim I'm putting on the table right now. And maybe you need to put something on the table because you know what? I'm just saying, Hebrews 10 gives a really good finale to our discussion right now. It tells us something very important because it tells us when we have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he consecrated for us through the veil, his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, we're called to draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Do you need that tonight? Do you need that tonight? Let me just ask everybody to stand right now with me. As we, sing, as we worship. And you know what? I'm going to ask, because you know, i got brothers here who would love to pray with you while we're singing the song. You know what? If you need prayer, the best time isn't to wait to the end. It's to do it now. While we hear his voice and we don't harden our hearts. As we're singing the song, I encourage you by God's mercy to come up and pray with one of our brothers or sisters who are here to just settle the issue before you walk back out and allow the enemy to do any more damage, I can tell you right now, the victory right now, now, while we hear his voice, now, while we're making choices right now, whether we're going to harden our hearts or whether we're going to have open hearts to receive that washing and that cleansing, because it can happen right this minute. And the, one of the things that's so cool about Saturday night specifically is that you guys kind of know each other. You, a lot of you guys are serving here. This is like a family night. And family not only forgives, but family loves to pray with each other too. So if you even have somebody next to you, I would encourage you to turn to that person that's next to you and say, you know, I know this is something we can settle. And I know it's something that I want to pray with you about as well. Because again, many of you are leaders. But some of you, this is a moment. It's a moment to let the Holy Spirit just take your thoughts captive the obedience of Christ because you've been hammered by the enemy too long and it can stop right this minute because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world and he knows your thoughts from afar search me know my heart try me know my thoughts see if there be any wicked way in me lead me in the way everlasting you don't need consensus from anyone around you to know when your heart's bleeding. You're the only one that knows the diagnosis because Jesus knows you. Just like Peter returned and said, what about that guy? Jesus says, you follow me. I'll take care of John. You follow me. So Father, we just want to praise you. We thank you, Jesus, 
that you've given us this new and living way. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would give us a passion for your holiness, a passion to understand the roots of the manger, the roots of the manna, the roots of the law, the roots of Aaron's rod that budded, God, all of them. Way, truth, and life right there all this time. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you come in the volume of the book. It's written about you. That we can walk in this newness of life because you're right here cleansing us. To take advantage of this moment, I encourage you as we sing this last song.